perspectives. We've seen the account of Christmas from the perspective of two people. Uh, first, we saw the perspective of Christmas from Mary, the mother of Jesus, which was very interesting. And then we also saw Christmas from the perspective of the shepherds, the outcasts, who were told the good news that a Savior had been born. And today, we're going to look at Christmas from the perspective of a man named Simeon, someone who's probably not in your nativity scene, but someone who played a crucial part in recognizing and celebrating the birth of Jesus. But before I get into that, I have a quick question. I'm going to share a really quick story, but I need a feel for the room. And if, if you're watching online with other people, you can kind of interact with them. Um, I'm wondering how many of you have ever gotten a sneak peek at one of your presents before you were supposed to open it? Like you, you got your present and it was wrapped and you weren't supposed to open it, but you kind of, with no one was looking, you kind of opened it up to see what was in and you put it back. How many of you have done that? Or am I the only one? Okay, good. So I'm not the only one. So when I was about 10 years old, my aunt and uncle sent a package for Christmas to me, for me and my parents opened up the package. They confirmed it is wrapped. And so they took the present and they put it under the tree. Now, this was a good week before Christmas. And so every day I would walk through the living room and look at this mysterious rectangle-shaped rectangle gift that had this really weird muffled shake to it whenever I would shake it. And, and I would walk through the living room back and forth. I'd be looking at this present, looking at this present. And then finally, a few days before Christmas, I broke. Like, I couldn't hold it anymore. I was walking through the living room and no one was around. And so I went and grabbed the present. No one, and, and, and I took it to a, a place where no one would find me. And I secretly, quietly, carefully opened up the wrapping and I looked inside. And to my delight, I'll never forget this. Like, I, I've forgotten 99% of the presents I've gotten over the years, but I remember this one. It was a Casio watch. <laughs> and for a kid in the late 80s, this was a big deal. Like, this wasn't quite as cool as the calculator watches, but it was right there up with it. And as hard as it was for me to wait to open the present, and I had to get a sneak peek, now that I knew what was in it, it was all the harder to let it sit unused, ticking away under the Christmas tree. Waiting is so hard. And waiting in general is hard, but there's some areas of life where waiting is even worse. And over the course of my ministry, I've, I've talked to people and prayed for people who, who are just being crushed by the waiting. I think of young couples who want nothing more than to have a child and shower it with a Jesus-sized love. But month after month after month, year after year, no child. The waiting can be crushing. The waiting can leave you wondering, what is God's plan and why is he forcing me to wait? I think of people who have relational strife. There, there are wounds that were inflicted in the past. And maybe this person has done everything they can to make amends for those wounds, but the other person isn't doing anything. And so the, the wound remains open. And they're just waiting, waiting. And waiting, and waiting can be crushing. I think of people who are waiting for an opportunity. Like they, they just have this feeling that they know their life was made for more than what they're doing, but they're not being recognized. No opportunities open themselves up. And the waiting can be crushing. 
I, I, I think of people who are waiting for acknowledgement, attention, that they're putting in so much work, so much at home, so much at their career, so much in their community, but everyone seems to take it for granted, but they keep doing more and more and more, and they're waiting for someone to recognize the work, and the waiting can be crushing. And on a spiritual level, the, the waiting can leave you wondering, what is God making me wait for? Well, today we're talking about a man named Simeon who is very familiar with the crushing weight of waiting. In fact, it wasn't just him waiting. It was an entire nation of people that were waiting, not for something that they wished would happen, but they were waiting for something God had promised would happen. And before I get into his story, I'm not going to make you wait until the end of the message for the big picture, the bottom line. What we're going to be looking at today is what it looks like to do this, to make God the object of your waiting. While you wait for the doctors to find a good thing for you to do, while they, while they look for the right medication, you also make God the object of your waiting. We're going to look at what it means to wait for God, to wait with God, to make God the object of your waiting, because this is something that Simeon knew how to do really well. So we're going to see his story today and how he played a vital role in that first Christmas. And to set the stage for you, what, uh, we'll talk about what he was waiting for in just a moment. Uh, to set the stage, uh, Jesus had been born, and we had already seen how after eight days, as, as was the Jewish custom and the Jewish law, after, on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised. And now we're about to see Joseph and Mary and Jesus come to Jerusalem for something else. And I'll let Luke describe it for you. Luke uh, records it this way. And just as a side note, Luke is a doctor, so he kind of knows these things. He said, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, and I'm not going to get into all the Leviticus details. You can read that book when you get home if you want to. But the purification rite basically meant after 40 days, after a woman gave birth to a boy, um, 40 days later, she was to go to the temple or to go to the priest with the, the appropriate offering to note that she was ceremonially clean. So that was the custom, that was the rule. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus went to present themselves to the Lord, which means they went to Jerusalem, to the temple. And so that's, this is the custom. This is what everyone did. And so Luke is kind of guiding us through the story. Okay, everything's normal up to this point. And then Luke, he, he changes the focus to introduce us to a man named Simeon. And he describes who Simeon was. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was two things, righteous and devout. Righteous means he would live his life in a way that reflected God's values and God's morals. But Pharisees did that too. And so Luke adds another thought. It's not like he was this Pharisee type of a person who was trying to wow people with his righteousness, but he was devout, which means his righteousness came from an internal place. It was part of who he was. He was a follower of God and he wanted his life to reflect what God meant to him. He was righteous. He was devout. In other words, this isn't some shepherd who's randomly coming by. And this isn't an angel from heaven. This is a human being, but one who has dedicated his life to God. Luke goes on. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
And this is, this, this is where we get deep into the history lesson part. The consolation of Israel, another way to say that is the comfort of Israel or the encourage, an encouragement for the Jewish people. Because what God had promised them was very far from the reality they were living in. God had promised the Jewish people that he would send a king to save them. A Messiah who would once again take this nation and make it even greater than it was before. Someone who would come and make this nation of Israel an everlasting kingdom. And so... That's what God had promised, but what they saw was far different. What they saw was a nation that was occupied by the Roman Empire. A nation where even their fellow Jews were collecting taxes from them to give to the Romans. An empire where they had no legal rights to make their own laws. They were at the mercy of Rome. And in fact, if they wanted to inflict the death penalty on a serious criminal, they had to ask the emperor's permission first. And so Simeon was waiting for this consolation of Israel. And consolation brings us back to the the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before. And God had given Isaiah some, some really interesting words. In Isaiah chapter 40, God told Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. And so Simeon was looking for that comfort. When will God show up? When will the waiting be over. Because the waiting was crushing him. The waiting had left many people wondering, where is God and what is he doing? Here's another interesting thing about Simeon. The Holy Spirit was on him. And this can mean, we're not entirely sure what it means. It could mean a, a couple different extremes. On the one extreme, on the simple side, maybe he was so well versed in scripture that when Simeon spoke, it's as if the Holy Spirit were speaking. On the other extreme, in some supernatural way, the Holy Spirit was physically manifest in Simeon in a way that was just miraculous. And I think it's somewhere in the middle, where the Holy Spirit was with him in a very real way, but also he was so well-versed in Scripture that it was part of who he was. And we see this come out in what he was about to say. But anyway, the Holy Spirit was on him, and then the Holy Spirit did one special thing for him. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the consolation of Israel, the Lord's Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so picture this every day, Simeon wondering, is today the day? And it seems like he was a priest, we're not sure, but it seems like he was a priest. And so maybe every day he would show up looking at all these young families bringing their firstborn son to the temple to consecrate them to the Lord. And he'd be wondering, is this the one? Is this the one? When will the king come? And so as, as he heard this news, he knew it was only a matter of time. But one real quick important thing, when it comes to God revealing things to people, I think he could still do that today where God, through his Holy Spirit, gives people information or tells them things. He can do anything he wants. One thing I note from Simeon is God didn't give Simeon any new information. Like, here's a different Messiah that you should be looking for. All God gave Simeon was a timeline. Here's when. And from scriptures, Simeon already had a clear picture of who this Messiah would be. The one thing he didn't know 
was when. So as we look at this, here's the thing that you and I can take away from what Simeon has gone through so far. If Simeon had demanded, God, you said that there's the present waiting for me under the tree. I want to open it now. If, if he had demanded, God, I want it now. I want it now. God's response would have been, Simeon, it's not ready yet. The child that I want to give you has not yet been born. When he's born, I'll bring him to you, but it's not ready yet. And may, maybe, maybe that's true of you and me sometimes too. Maybe when we're waiting on God or waiting for God to do something in our life and we see a perfectly great solution, let's do this, let's do this. Maybe the gift that God wants to give you isn't ready yet. And so he says, would you wait? Wait with me, wait for me. Number one, God may have you wait when what he wants to give is not ready. This applies to single people. Maybe God will have you wait because what he wants to give you isn't ready yet. This applies to people in careers looking for opportunities. Maybe what he wants to give you isn't ready yet. This applies to, to medical conditions, both for you or for loved ones. Maybe the path that he wants to give you isn't, isn't available yet. We don't know. But one thing we know from Simeon is that he will wait until the gift is ready before he gives it to you. And so here's where the cool part happens. Simeon is waiting, watching, wondering, when will this day come? When will the gift be ready? And then the day finally comes. Moved by the Spirit, and then I'm going to skip to the end of this section, according to the custom of the law. Spirit, law, both compelling people to come to the same place. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, there's this purification rite that they had to go through. When this happened, it goes on, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. I don't know what that moment felt like, but maybe you do. Months, years of waiting, 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 and in a moment, in an instant, it comes. There's this elated feeling of joy when the waiting is over. And here's how Simeon responds. So just keep this in mind. He's full of joy. He's grabbing this child and the parent, I don't know if they're freaking out, like, who's this guy? He's taking our child, but maybe he's the priest and so it's all cool. But he, he takes their child and he's, he starts to praise God as he holds God in his hands. And here's what he says. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now you may dismiss your servant in peace. The words now dismiss in Latin are nunc dimittis, dimittis. I can't even speak Latin. So anyway, nunc dimittis, and that's, those are two words that are often used to title this song that Simeon is speaking or praying or singing, the nunc dimittis. I, look up how, how to say it on Google. <laughs> now you may dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Just let that sink in. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all peoples. It's not just for me. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And we're going to dig into these, these verses a little bit more, but just notice right now the spacing. 
This is not just some haphazard uh, reaction out of excitement. This is a carefully written, carefully structured, poetic response to what had just happened. So what is your conclusion from this? Now, when I met Amy for the first time, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And by the way, if you don't know, Amy's my wife. But I did not erupt in some, you know, seven-part poem where, where it, there's structure and things going on there because I wasn't ready for that. Like, I wasn't expecting it when it happened. But when Simeon picked up this child, he was singing, saying poetry in a very detailed, organized way. So what does this tell you? What had Simeon been doing during the waiting? Maybe during your waiting, God is giving you a chance to write your song. And it's not going to be about you, about how great you are or how deserving you are of the gift. The song is always about the giver. And that brings up the second way or the second thing that God might be doing during your times of waiting. God may have you wait when you are not ready for what he wants to do. You know, I I just think of this. uh, How did you learn to drive? When did you learn to drive? For for me, it was on a motorcycle. That's my first vehicle that I operated. And I was around 11 years old. And uh, I kind of got it working. I figured out the clutch. But then when I came to a stop, the the motorcycle slowly went over and my leg was underneath it. And I got a pretty good burn from the exhaust. It was a cool thing, but I was not ready for it. So what would a loving heavenly father do? do. When you ask for a gift that you're not quite ready for yet. And if you're meeting with your groups this week, you can talk about examples. What are some ways that maybe you got a gift when it was not quite time yet? But sometimes God may have you wait when you are not ready for what he wants to do. Simeon had a chance to write his song. He had a chance to plan out what his reaction would be like. And maybe you do too. But there's so much we can learn from his song that I didn't want to skip over it. And so here's just verse by verse. Let's look at what he had to say. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. The word dismiss can also be used of a prisoner. Not that Simeon was a prisoner, but Simeon's whole life was devoted towards this promise of God that he would see the Messiah. And so what would that look like for you? Your entire life searching for what God has promised to you. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. And you may dismiss me, Lord, not because my hands have done something great for you or I built something for you. All I contributed is that my eyes have seen your salvation. And it's not that it's a special revelation to me, but you've prepared this in the sight of all nations. I have done nothing to deserve this honor of seeing salvation with my own eyes. But now I can go in peace because I have. And this is in the sight of all nations. Um, this salvation is a, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Gentiles refers to people outside of the Jewish faith, people who don't know the, the law of God or the scriptures, and they don't have a good, uh, an understanding of who God is. And so you you picture that and people that are trying to make sense of life, like, well, who am I? What's my purpose? And there's so many answers out there. But when salvation appears, when Jesus comes, now we have some answers. 
So this is who I am. This is why I matter. This is what my purpose is. It all is about my Father in heaven. So this is a revelation to the Gentiles, to the nations. And this salvation was a light for glory of your people, Israel. The glory of Israel is not Jerusalem or a temple. It's not a place. It's not even a a nationality. The glory is the salvation that came through them through the Savior, Jesus. This is their glory. And even in in this song, Simeon is stretching what the common perception of the Savior was back in that time. Because many people thought that the Savior would be a political king that would lead an army to march on Rome and defeat the empire. But that's not the kind of Savior that God had promised. So Simeon, in his song, he he acknowledges this is a light for Gentiles, a light for the Romans. And this is the glory of what we were called to do. And now that Simeon's waiting is over, and now that he's done presenting this amazing Nunc Dimittis song, now he finally transitions to focusing on this poor young couple who have no idea what's coming. First of all, any young couple with a a newborn, you have no idea what's coming. I had no idea. Maybe you do, but I, I didn't. And so maybe Simeon's looking them in the eyes and he's like, oh man, on so many levels, you guys don't know what's coming. Number one, being a new parent, that's, that's something. Number two, being the parent of the savior of the world. And here's where we're going to make a transition. Waiting for things is hard. Waiting can be a weight that crushes you. But what's even harder than waiting is knowing what awaits you. And so as Simeon is looking them in the eyes, first of all, this is what he sees. <laughs> you see, after this song, he, he said, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him because they're just like, whoa, say that again? That was good. They're, they're, they're marveling at what was being said about their child, just at maybe 40 days old when this purification rite would have happened. But then as, as Simeon looks at him, he, he continues and does this. Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, You need to know what's awaiting you. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And again, here's where the most Jews back then would have said, we need the Savior to cause the falling of Rome and the rising of all in Israel. But Simeon says, no, it's it's not that kind of a kingdom. The falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. In John's account of Jesus, the sign that's usually referred to is the sign of of Jonah, where Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Jesus said, that's the only sign you're going to get. I'm going to die and come back to life. And when this Savior died, people would say, it's not much of a Savior. So it will be a sign that's spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. People will come open about what kind of a kingdom they're expecting God to create. And then he says, Mary, you need to know what's awaiting you. A sword will pierce your own soul too. And from our perspective, it's so clear. Watching your son be executed on a cross. What compares? 
So Simeon basically said, you need to know what's awaiting you. And I could ask you the same thing. What's awaiting you in life? It's one thing to wait for things, but it's another thing to know what's awaiting you. Um, One of the triggering things from my college experience was this thing called the syllabus. It should be a four-letter word, but it's much longer than that. It's this document that all at once says, here's all the things you're going to do this semester. And for every single time that happened, just my heart dropped inside of me like, I can't do this. But it was fair warning, here's what awaits you. And did you know that actually the Bible does the same thing? It gives you this syllabus, it gives you these statements so that you know what awaits people. The wages of sin is death. Your sinfulness earns punishment. Light exposes the darkness and darkness is within. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Scripture is full of these syllabuses where syllabi where it gets to the heart of what awaits us as sinful human beings. Death. Separation from God. Condemnation. But that's what the Savior came for. And here's the the thing. Sometimes I would show up to a high school or college class and then they'd put down the syllabus and I'd be like, whoa, I thought this was an easy class. But Jesus wasn't surprised. He knew exactly what awaited him. And that's part of the reason why people were startled when it was towards the end of his three-year ministry and he was so resolute on going to Jerusalem. He was not marching on Jerusalem with an army, but he was leading the way, knowing full well what awaited him. Jesus entered this world knowing full well what awaited him. What awaited him is what should have been awaiting you. And yet, out of love, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he was punished for you, for me. And here's the the amazing thing that, that changes. And this changes the way we wait. It's number three. Jesus changed what's awaiting you. And this changes everything. When when you realize that he has changed death to life. Punishment to forgiveness. This changes the way you live your life altogether. Um, sometimes when uh, you're waiting for something, a recent example, back at Thanksgiving, uh, we, we had some company over, and so we ordered, uh, we got some pizza from Costco. And before you judge me, this is for the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> we were getting some pizza from Costco, and I was standing there for a while, and I, we'd placed the order, and it was a few, quite a few pizzas. And so I was waiting there, and I was kind of distracted, and finally kind of started looking at things again, and I noticed other people were getting their pizzas. And I looked inside, and I saw a stack of pizzas on the warming rack, and I'm like, did they forget about me? Did I, did I miss something? So the, the takeaway from that is that sometimes while you're waiting, you can be reluctant to believe that things are okay. Is everything okay? Is everything okay? But when we remember that Jesus changed what awaits you, 
It can take away the reluctance and replace it with something better. Um, to illustrate, uh, I'm the youngest of five kids, and my next brother is four years ahead of me, so there's quite an age gap between me and the others. And that means that as they got older, I was eventually the only kid at home. Not like Macaulay Culkin, home alone, but I was like the only kid at home with my parents. And so I remember the feeling of when my brother and everyone else had gone off to college, and there I am alone. Which had its perks, I'm not going to lie. But, but at the same time, it's like, don't tell them this. I missed them. And so I'll never forget, and this was a long time ago, but I'll never forget sitting in my bedroom um, when Christmas break was about to begin, and my, my uh, siblings were going to be driving home for Christmas break. And I was sitting at the window watching the driveway. And we had a pretty big driveway, and so I was intently watching, like, is that, is that car going to turn in? Is that car going to turn in? So I was watching out my bedroom window, waiting for them to come home. And I can't tell you the excitement I would feel when the headlights would turn into the drive. There they are. And so it, it happened back five years ago. I was in my um, home for the last time, my uh, childhood home for the very last time because my parents were planning to sell it. And I took a picture out my bedroom window because I, I, this is one of my memories. Like I want to remember what I was looking at as I was watching for my siblings. And here's the picture. So it's not glorious. Uh, th these are not headlights. That's the flash from my camera. And while it was a beautiful sunrise in Oklahoma, you can't see much other than the screen. So while I guess what this teaches me is that sometimes as, as a follower of Jesus, even though we know what's awaiting us, we can get so distracted by the things that are right in front of us that we're waiting for. And so waiting for God is not waiting reluctantly, wondering if he's going to show up. But rather, here's what we learned today from our Christmas perspective. Seeing Christmas rightly allows you to wait expectantly. And this is what that means. As, as you wait for God to give you an answer, can we have a child? You, 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 you make God the object of your waiting at that same time because maybe he'll bring someone into your life that needs a Jesus-sized love to. And while you're waiting for the doctors to maybe find some medication that works. Or while you're waiting for your loved one to heal, you also make God the object of your waiting because he is the physician of both body and soul. As you wait for the opportunity to come up where maybe you can do something more in your life, you make God the object of your waiting alongside that because he is the one who gives you purpose and promise. So what are you waiting for? What we learn from Simeon is that sometimes God may have you wait if what he wants to give isn't ready. And sometimes he'll have you wait if you're not quite ready to receive what he wants to do. But no matter what, when it comes to those times, those seasons of waiting, make God the object of your waiting too. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, this life is full of opportunities for us to be reminded of our need for you. Times of waiting usually means that there's nothing we can do. And so maybe the most productive thing for us to do in those moments is to focus on you and to seek you, to grow in you and to learn more about you. So this week, 
this month, I, I pray that you would help each of us as we consider whatever we're waiting for. What does it look like to also make you the object of our waiting? To wait for you, to wait with you, and to seek you. And as we do that, I pray that you would fill us with this hope because Jesus has changed what has been awaiting us. Thank you for his gift. In Jesus' name, amen.